11 to 21. I want to give you a little bit of context, a little bit of background before I jump into this. If you were to read the book of Acts, you would find in the book of Acts chapter 15 a council that took place, a conference that took place in Jerusalem. The Jerusalem conference was called because some people called the Judaizers had come to the early church and said that really this whole matter of grace wasn't working. That the reality was you still had to follow the do's and the don'ts of the law of Jesus Christ. And what the Jerusalem Council or Conference came up with was that the freedom, if you would, or the liberty that Christians have in Christ should not be bridled. And that actually we were free from the law because of what Jesus did upon, upon the cross. Now I've got to tell you, you've heard the phrase, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Uh, this morning someone was talking to me and they said one of their grandchildren who's very, very young was able to do such and such on a computer. And the thing that bugged me about that was that I can't do it, okay? You'll recognize that reality, right? I bought a phone about a month and a half ago and Tuesday night I've got to go to the Apple store because it's still not acting the way it's supposed to act and the reality is it's all on me. Jesus had taught his disciples again and again and again that the law doesn't matter and you cannot go back to the matter, to the matter of doing the do's and the don'ts of the Ten Commandments. And at that conference in Jerusalem, one of the speakers was Peter. Stop for a minute and jog your memory. Just a few moments ago before that video, we read where Paul had written and he said, when Peter came to Antioch, I withstood him to the face. Same Peter. At the Jerusalem conference, Peter had been a speaker and they had settled this matter there. They had settled the matter that the law no longer had its effect for Christians because Jesus died on the cross. All of that do's and don'ts didn't matter anymore, but something happened in the passage. And I'm going to get to it a verse at a time here in just a minute. What happened was Peter had sat down with other believers, and it's key to understand who those believers were. They were Gentile believers. They were not Jews. And he sat down with them to eat not just any meal, but to eat the love feast. Just to, to, to be sure we're clear, that is the forerunner to our present day Holy Communion. Okay, it was a meal amongst Christians, brothers and sisters. And something happened when from Jerusalem came what you would call the Jewish leaders or the Judaizers. You see, these folks had decided that no matter what that Jewish conference had said, we are still going to push the cause that our faith in Christ is not sufficient. That you have to keep the law. And when Peter saw them show up, he's sitting at the table. Just get that in your mind. And when he sees these Judaizers arrive, Peter gets up and walks away from his Gentile friends. Christian friends. I want to remind you of a few things about Peter before we go any farther. Peter was impulsive. Peter could show both faith and fear in the same sentence. Peter is the guy you'll remember that Jesus said, get out of the boat and walk on water. And Peter got out of the boat, and the scriptures say he walked on water. But then, before the sentence is over, Peter begins to sink. 
Peter is the same guy who says to Jesus, I will go to death with you. But while Jesus is hanging on the cross, Peter is denying the Lord three times. It's this Peter that Paul says he withstood to the face. This Peter that had this impulsiveness about everything. What I hope you'll see this morning is that Peter's faithfulness, or rather fear, uh, led to the story that I read to you this morning. Enjoying this love feast, the Judaizers show up, Peter gets up and walks away from the table. And just to be sure we're clear, this action makes Peter out to be a hypocrite. Just to be clear, it not only makes him a hypocrite, but others. Because if you listen to the passage, it says that others did the same thing. And then even Barnabas did this. You see, this peer pressure and this fear that Peter had amongst his old friends from Jerusalem showing up caused him to change his ways. The fear of being uncomfortable in the presence of other people made him do some very uncomfortable things. Peter made himself out to be a hypocrite. Do you think that you and I maybe sometimes have symptoms of this? Well, let's take it a verse at a time. Peter says, Paul says rather, when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter, before all of them, if you, even though you're a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews. Now what Paul's saying here, church, is that even though Peter was raised as a Jew, he was now a believer in Jesus Christ. He had been set free from the law, but he's not acting like he's been set free from anything. Peter's actually making, if you would, not just theological distinctions, but racial distinctions. Later in this letter, Paul's going to write this. You'll know this very well. In Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And you could take that verse and you could put a whole lot of things into that. There is neither black nor white, there's neither rich nor poor, there is neither anything. For in Christ we are all brought to the same level. We're trusting in Jesus and not in ourselves. If you were to go back to that speech at the Jerusalem conference, here's one piece of what Peter himself said in Acts 15, the ninth verse. Peter said that God has made no distinction between us, that is the Jews, and them, the Gentiles. He has cleansed their hearts by faith. What Peter's saying is, at the foot of the cross, the ground becomes very level for all of us. But I want you to see what Peter's actions were doing. Peter's actions were revealing a little bit of division or disunity or whatever you want to call it in the body of Christ. If you ever go to high school to the lunchroom and you sat down with your friends and you ever have the occasion where somebody wouldn't sit with you because they were seemingly something else than you were? Or where somebody that was sitting with you decided they couldn't sit with you any longer. That's exactly what happened. Peter says, when I saw 
their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? He was, he was saying, you're breaking up the believers. We are all one in Christ, and your actions are dividing us. And church, I will just say to you, it's been my experience throughout my ministry that often we in the body of Christ are our own worst enemies in this regard. Paul goes on and says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and we're not Gentile sinners. And yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. So we also have believed in Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul just said, Peter, I'm a Jew like you. But you and all the rest of us that are Jews who have been saved by Jesus, we know that following that law is not what's going to get us into heaven. Following that law is not what's going to... And here's where Peter, or Paul rather, uses a technical term. Don't you, don't you can't stand it when they use technical terms? Justification. Now, an easy way of understanding justification is just as if I'd never sinned. That's the way it was taught to most of us in Sunday school. If you were to go back, that, that's been a big question amongst everyone for a very long time. Job in the book of Job asked this question, 9 verse 2. He says, how can we be justified? And Job wanted to know, how can I be right before God? And, and God answers that question before Jesus enters the scene. He actually answers it back in the book of Habakkuk chapter, chapter 2. And he says something that's repeated again and again in the New Testament. And it's this, the just will live by faith. You see, it's not that the just, those that are justified, those that are right with God, they will not live by their works. You remember the video? They'll not live by the puppet ministry they headed. They'll not live by the good deeds they did. They'll not live by anything other than by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this, this bright moment is what brought Martin Luther to be one of the great leaders of the Reformation when he nailed those 95 thesis upon the door and recognized that we are only saved by grace. You see, Job asked that question. God answered it. Let me fill in a few blanks for you here this morning just to be sure we understand what we're talking about. Justification is an act of God where he declares a believer Righteous because of Christ. In Romans 5.1, Paul writes these words. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now you may notice something about what I said to you justification is. It's, I guess it's on a slide on the screen. And it is that there is the word act right there. What that means, it's an act of God. It's not an act of us. It, it, it's an immediate transaction that God takes care of. I went and paid a bill this week. And after I paid the bill, I went and looked online at my bank account because I felt that they had charged me too much. 
And when I looked on line at my bank account, there were all the checks and all the, the purchases I had made in that account, but there was another aisle, there was another uh, place on that page that said pending action. And that's where I found that transaction. It was pending. It showed up the next day in my account, but right now it had not yet been paid. We all had that have occur, right? It's, it's caught up in the banking system. Justification doesn't work like that. When we place our faith in Jesus, it's an act of God whereby he declares the believer in Jesus Christ righteous in his sight. In Romans 8.33, Paul says, it is God who justifies. By the works of the law, no human being can be justified in his, in his sight. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul would write this. For our sake, he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. That in him, that's in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. You know, when there's a change in the presidential office, what do the presidents always do? When you get the new president, what do they do near the end of the term? They begin to pardon people, right? All their good friends, all their cronies get pardoned. Justification is not pardoned. If you get pardoned, your record will still say that you were found guilty. It's just that you don't have to do your time. What Jesus does is not pardon. What Jesus does is he sets us free, and he no longer remembers the sin in our life. That's why David would write. And remember that David, the psalmist, David is the guy who committed uh, adultery with Bathsheba, who had Bathsheba's husband killed. David, as much as he is such a wonderful person in the Bible and referred to as the apple of God's eye, David sinned. And David penned for us Psalm 32, where it says, Blessed is the man whose sin is forgiven by God. That's justification. God forgives. God sets us free from the power of sin. And what happened when Peter sat down with the Gentile believers and began to eat, and then the Judaizers showed up, and Peter stands up and says, Oh, I can't let them see me doing this. And he goes to step over uh, with his Judaizer friends, what he was saying, and hear this all with me, church, what Peter was saying was, there is a difference between us and them. And, and Peter, in one fell swoop, getting up and walking away from his Gentile believer friends because the Judaizers had showed up, Peter had nullified the whole concept that God justifies. Do you see it? You see what I'm trying to say to you? Peter's actions were saying it really does matter what you do. It really does matter how much you have. It really does matter what color you are. I had somebody show up in my life this week, and they really ticked me off. I'm not going to go into too much detail, but they said to me, Me, and by extension, you, can't get along without them. And I got news for you. The only person we can't get along without is Jesus Christ. Tim Tebow had that right. The guy who was sent on a rescue mission for the world is all that we need. When Peter got up and walked away from the table, he was saying, no, 
We need to be part of a certain group. We need to do certain things. It matters what we do, and that means it matters more than what he did. 17 and 18 verses. I'm heading somewhere. You stay with me. Are you with me? If in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners, is Christ the servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Peter, when he got up from that table, was rebuilding the whole concept that what you do matters to God. Well, please understand, you become a Christian, you should do good things, not bad things, but you aren't doing them to level out the scale or to win the scale down to your side. You're doing them because you love him. Peter gets up because Peter is saying, what I do matters. And I'm going to rebuild what I think matters most. And that is to do good things, to obey the law. And what Peter was nullifying was, excuse me, the whole concept of freedom in Jesus Christ. In the 19th verse, Paul writes this, For through the law I died to the law. You know what he said? I tore that building down. I tore that structure down. We took a... a, a, a a ball to it, a, a big ball on the end of a chain on the end of a crane, and we smashed that building of, of the law when Christ came into our life. We tore it down, it's a pile of rubble, and we are not going to build it back. Hear what Paul says, through the law I died to the law so that I could live to God. That building had held me in. That building had, had given me some corners in my life where I couldn't get out of, but in Christ, the building's torn down. And now it's no longer I who is contained in the building, but it's Jesus living in me. Look at what he says. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ living in me. And the life I now live out of that building in the flesh, I live that life by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the gospel. That's the good news of the gospel. Paul's saying, Peter, if you tore the building down, why would you rebuild it again? You have completely undercut, you've taken out the, the one underpinning of the gospel, and that is that Jesus is sufficiently enough. Finally, finally, Paul writes in the 24th verse, I will not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, Christ died for no purpose. Paul actually says, if I rebuild that building, if I get up from the table like you did, Peter, and I go back to begin again what I walked away from, all that I am doing is crucifying Jesus afresh. In other words, Peter, what did Jesus die for if that's what you're going to do? If you're going to rebuild that life, you're going to rebuild the law, you're going to believe that who you're with and what you do makes a difference to the Lord himself. Jesus hung on that cross for no reason. We so often want to mix our work, our goodness with God's grace. We're like oil and water. 
You see, God's grace says there's no difference. Remember what he said in Galatians 3? There's no difference. There's no slave, no free. There's no male. There's no female. We are not separated. In Christ, we are one in Christ. The minute you get up from the table, Peter, you're saying that's not true. You're saying that who we're with and what we do and how much money we have and how many good deeds we've done and how many committees we've served on makes a difference. Do you remember, it's not Easter yet, we're heading into the fall, I'm not supposed to do this yet, but do you remember Jesus' seven last words from the cross? One of them was, it is finished. It is finished. That building's been torn down. I let you live forever trying to do it that way and you couldn't do it. So I sent Jesus, I sent my only son so that that way we knew it wouldn't work. We tore that down and now you live by faith in the son of God. That's why Ephesians 5.25 says, by grace you are saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, it's a gift from God. Lest anyone should boast. You hear a guy in that video? He says, it's all right there. And then he says, well, I'm sure I forgot something. We tend to do that. And that brings me to my bottom line today. Now, before I give you the bottom line, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you a test. As soon as I give you the bottom line, we're going to jump into the test. I don't want you to raise your hand. I don't want you to answer out loud. But I'm going to give you a test, and I'll take it too, because here's the bottom line. When all I have is me, Jesus is all I need. When all I have is me, Jesus is all I need. Yesterday, one of our grandchildren we're at the house. He only has two. This was the one of the masculine gender. And he said, Papa, can I get out the train? No, you see, Christmas is coming. You don't have much time left. When Christmas gets here, we'll get the train out. You can do that. Oh, Papa, please, can I get out the train? No, you see, we're not going to get the train out today. I'm old and I'm tired. And when you leave with your mama, I'm going to put the train away. And you aren't going to be here to help, so we'll wait till Christmas. He walked out in the other room. He said, Nana, can I get out the train? Nana said, go ask your papa. Then I heard him say something like this. You know, Nana, moms are okay, but grandmas are great. Grandmas are like heaven. But man, was he working it. You know, he's seven now. He's no longer two. And he knows how to work it. I wonder if sometimes we don't do that with God. You know, God, I know this whole thing about grace. You know I'm a good person. And you know I've done good things. And you know I've attended worship, and you know that I have given to the good causes, and you know, Lord, that I, and, and, and the whole time we're saying, Jesus is good, but deep down inside of me, I feel like I've got to do something. So won't you just accept my resume? 
folks, the bottom line is this. If all we have to count on is us, we're most pathetic. But I'll tell you in, we are most pathetic. We need him because he is enough. If all I have is me, all I need is him because he is enough. And his work on the cross is sufficient. But now comes the twist. When I get to the bottom line, let me tell you the point of the bottom line. When all I have is me, Jesus is all I need. The point of the bottom line is for me to send you out of here with something to do this week, okay? That's the point. Well, you already got it. All you need is Jesus. So this week, live like Jesus is all you need. Try that. Let me ask you a few questions, and here's the twist. Have you been saved by the grace of God? Let's take the word saved out of there, because some of us get so uncomfortable because of words these days, right? Let's use the word Paul used. Have you been justified by the grace of God? Have you been made in God's eyes as if you have never sinned? Because that's what Paul said justification was. It's so interesting to me that before Paul says in this passage that when Peter came, I withstood him to the face or I got up in his face. He has said in the chapter before these words, and listen closely to this. Because this is the reason the letter to the church at Galatia was written was because they kept going back to rebuild the old buildings. They kept going back thinking that that's what was going to get them in. And Paul had already said to them in Galatians 1, verses 6 to 9, these words, you can go look it up, but here's what he says. I am astonished that you are this quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ and have turned to a different gospel. He goes on to say, there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel. He says, but if me, himself, Paul, if I or an angel from heaven preached to you another gospel, then that which has been declared, let him be anathema. And what that means is, let him go to the bad place. You see, you see Paul is so convinced of the grace of God being sufficient to make us right. This business church of us saying, I'm good enough. There's enough in me. I can, I can convince God with my resume that I'm going to get in. That's another gospel. That's, that's us. That's not my grace was saved through faith. That's us. Now let me ask you again. Have you been justified by the grace of God? Do you know that you know that you know? That if you check out today, it's going to be okay. Have you been adding to or taking from the gospel? You see, Peter was adding to the gospel, wasn't he? Gospel would be, if I just do all these good things like they're doing, it will be okay. And we do it all the time. Got to be right, just got to do good things. No offense, but if I show up and lay the mulch, I'm going to get some points with God. If I show up and help at food pantry, I'm going to get some points with God. If I, you fill in the blank. We do it. Obey the golden rule. Follow the Ten Commandments. 
What's the greatest law? Love your neighbor. Oh, you just got to love people. That's all it's going to take. That is another gospel too. Because Paul said it clearly. Jesus explained it to us. We are saved by his grace. He did it all. And we place our faith in that work. And that is what justifies us. So church, examine yourself this week closely. Are you adding a new gospel to what God's already given you? And this one, I just added in because I want you to know that I'm not an old prune. Are you rejoicing in that justification? Does it make you happy? If you're, the kids used to sing, if you're happy and you know it, say amen. Right? If you're happy and you know it, stomp your feet. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. You've heard me say this before. If you're a Christian and you're happy, somebody ought to inform your faith. Paul says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. You want to know, you want to have something to be happy about? The world is on fire. Do you know that? The world is on fire right now. Russia's attacking the Ukraine. They're fighting back and forth. Money's being shifted all over the world for a variety of different things. The price of food, the price of everything's going up. Families that don't have enough now don't have any. Things are getting difficult. But when your trust is in Jesus, all of that war and mayhem and chaos can become peace. Jesus said, my peace I leave with you, not the peace that the world gives you, I give to you. My peace I give to you. Are you living that gospel? What do I mean by that? Now I'm back to being the old prune. Can somebody look at your life and see that as a witness to being justified by faith in Christ? Can somebody look at what you do, who you are, and how you behave? I'm asking myself that this week. I'm asking you to ask yourself that. Is your motto, I don't get mad, I get even, and then you laugh because you're a Christian? I got news for you. You got a problem. Have you ever said, I will never forgive and fill in the blank, and you call yourself a Christian? Because to somebody, to somebody who fits into that hole, guess what? You are not living what you're claiming to be. Hello? Are you able to forgive those that have wronged you the way that Christ has forgiven you? I want to tell you something, church. I... <laughs> I am writing a book. Did you know that? I, I, I'll tell you something funny. Eric, can I come down? I want to sit down. I could sit up there, but 
I'm going to sit down here with you folks. I'm going to tell you something funny. <clears throat> I know most of you aren't on Facebook, but I have a Facebook page for myself, then I have one for the church. I have one for the preschool. I have one for the food pantry that doesn't get anything put on at any time. Well, I started one that was for me and not for the church that, that's, that's called Things I Can't Say from the Pulpit. And I'll tell you why it's so funny to me. Has anybody gone and looked at it? It's called Things I Can't Say from the Pulpit. And every once in a while, one of my friends will say to me, hey, what's, what's that deal with that page you got? You know, Things You Can't Say from the Pulpit. And I'll say, why? You don't post anything. Because there's nothing I can't say from the pulpit. <laughs> That's why. And you say, what are you talking about, Joel? We Christians so often want to believe that if we're just nice enough, and good enough, are you with me? Are you with me? That God's going to accept that. Sometimes we got to face the truth. Sometimes we need a good come to Jesus moment. And unfortunately for you, occasionally on some Sundays, God uses me to do that. If it needs said, we need to say it. Paul, I withstood Peter to the face. And I said to Peter, Peter, what you're doing is rebuilding the houses. What you're doing is rebuilding the law. Peter, you're not acting like a Christian. You aren't rejoicing in it. You're not living like it's true. And you just aren't doing it. Church, you may not have gotten up from the table with all the food on it. You may not have walked away from communion. But some of us have walked away from the concept of loving the way Jesus loved and forgiving the way Jesus forgives. Because we have experienced that forgiveness. He has forgiven me. How could it possibly be that I cannot forgive Vanessa? How could it possibly be, if God's forgiven me, that I cannot forgive my child? How can it be that if God's forgiven me, that I can't forgive the pastor that did, you fill in the blank, because I hear a lot of that. How can it be that if God's forgiven me, that I cannot forgive my spouse for what they did? How can it be? All of that, friends, rebuilds the house. And it's just as bad to be unforgiving as it is to say, I'm going to count on my good works to get me into heaven. church, if it's only up to us, we're in deep trouble. When it's all up to me, I can tell you what my final destination is. I can tell you what my final destination is. But it's not up to me, praise God. It's up to him. And he is sufficient. Now I said to you that was a test. I asked you some pretty hard questions if you took them seriously. I want you to go home and ponder this, please. Maybe you've already done it today. But I do want you to go home and ponder this week. Is it all up to me? Because if it's all up to you, I know who you need. If you know that it's not up to you, don't go home and try to get brownie points by brushing up the furniture. Go home and recognize that you are being made into his image day by day. And that when he appears, we will be like him for we will see him just as he is. But in the meanwhile, it is our job 
to the best of our ability to be Jesus to the world that's around us in the way we walk, the way we talk, the way we love, the way we forgive, the way we do. Church, I'm very serious. I had somebody say to me not long ago, I will never forgive you for what you did. That hurt. Pointed his finger at me in a grocery store and said, I'll never forgive you for what you did. I am so grateful and glad that my salvation does not depend on that individual. Let's pray.